Welcome to Green Tea, sustainable stories from Bowdoin campus and beyond. A production of the Bowdoin Sustainability Office with your hosts, Marie Caspard and Diego Velasquez. Telling stories about sustainability from the perspective of faculty, staff, students, and Brunswick community members. Today we'll be speaking with Ayana Harskowet, a junior at Bowdoin College who's also involved with the Bowdoin Sustainability Office. Ayana is from outside of Seattle, Washington, and studies environmental studies and biology with a concentration in ecology, evolution, and marine biology. She also minors in English, which she proudly points to as her non-STEM commitment. Ayana participated in the marine science semester where she and Marie met. She is involved in climate activism on campus and beyond through Bone Climate Action, or now often referred to by the larger national organization, the Sunrise Movement. We'll talk about the role of science and how we practice it, inclusivity within STEM, and building a sustainable world. A special thanks to Ayana for joining us today. Here's that interview. Um, so maybe you want to start telling us a little bit about where you're from, your background, maybe like how you got to Bowdoin. Yeah, so I am from Bellevue, Washington, which is a little outside of Seattle. Usually I just tell people I'm from Seattle because yeah. nobody knows the difference. <laughs> it's like 15 minutes away. Cool. Um, and I honestly don't remember exactly how I found Bowdoin, but I knew that I wanted to like get off the West Coast and try something mm. new. Um, and I started looking into like the small liberal arts schools because yeah. that really yeah. seemed like the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just remember visiting here and feeling like it was the right place to be. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there are a lot of liberal schools on the east coast so yeah that, like, <laughs> I was like it's either southern California or like here uh, why yeah. don't you want to stay in Washington just like oh um, just because I mean like I've really never lived anywhere else mm. like I'd never even been to the east coast before I oh, visited really? schools yeah Whoa. yeah <laughs> so I was like you know like fuck it like I'll just <laughs> try something completely different um, yeah. But it's kind of nice because I feel like Maine, in some ways, reminds me of like the Pacific Northwest. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always been like, I would love to go to Portland. Like, yeah. I just, I've been like dreaming about Portland, Oregon for like oh my years. God, I've so never cute. been, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, maybe sort of going off of like your background. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your like first introduction to like the notion of sustainability or like environmentalism for you and maybe mm-hmm. if you have a definition for it please go ahead and share but yeah. yeah I mean I think it's one of those things that I can't necessarily trace back to like a single mm-hmm. moment or experience yeah but I feel like I've always like been fortunate enough to engage with like the outdoors and have a personal connection to like natural spaces around the places where I've lived mm-hmm. um and I feel like I always thought of sustainability as something like a little more separate a little more about like you know there was like the green team in my high school that like <laughs> hung out by the recycling in the cafeteria <laughs> and they were like you can't put that shit in here like, and like to me that was what sustainability was for yeah. the longest time right mm-hmm. it was like a lot of those like individual actions that yeah. we're told to take like biking to work and like mm-hmm turning the tap off while you brush your teeth <laughs> um and I think my definition of it at least in my mind didn't really expand until I came here and got more involved like with the sustainability office mm-hmm. and started getting more involved with like activism and mm-hmm. thinking about that on the larger scale mm-hmm. um but I still I don't know I think it's a tough thing to define because I yeah. think it intersects with so many other like different I don't know concepts and goals but mm-hmm. 
I think for me, it's it's recently become more about like environmental justice and like equity mm-hmm. because I think in order to like build sustainable systems and to like work towards a, a sustainable future, that needs to be something that's like more holistic mm-hmm. and more inclusive of like you know people who traditionally haven't been included in this conversation because I think it's been such a white like environmentalist conversation that mm-hmm. has been like kind of exclusive historically right like who gets to make the choices about like what actions we're taking to like you know like build green spaces here but not like for these neighborhoods yeah. and you know like the funding that we're putting into like developing certain technologies but then ignoring like crises around the country like mm. um like I think you know sustainability is like building better infrastructure in Flint, Michigan, and, like, sustainability is, like, stopping, like, the pipeline, um, like, in, like, the Dakota Access Pipeline, Mm -hmm. but, like, obviously, like, that conversation is still very much dominated by, like, a certain demographic, Mm -hmm. um, in ways that I think is not sustainable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so for me, it's really, a lot of it focuses on, like, shifting that narrative and trying to think about ways we can like improve the livelihoods of people who you know are often excluded from that Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so maybe shifting gears a little bit again I was saying I know you from marine science semester Mm -hmm. um do you want to talk a little bit about how studying like ecology in particular and from the conversations that I had with you in the past it seems Mm -hmm. like that's kind of a career path that you're really interested in Mm -hmm. pursuing and how studying ecology in particular has sort of informed the way that you think about sustainability. Mm. Yeah, I I think I do hold like a pretty complicated relationship with science because Mm -hmm. I think that in the past I was really set on like being a wildlife biologist Mm -hmm. and like, you know, going to grad school and doing research in ecology and like having that be it for me. Yeah. Um, And I think marine science semester both like, you know, helped me realized that I was capable of doing that and like equipped to do that because Mm -hmm. you know before I never like felt super legitimate as a scientist like I'd never done research and I'd never really taken like the more in-depth courses and you know been in the lab that much um but then I also think that it really challenged like the ways that I think about science and like whether like what kind of spaces I want to occupy because like as much as I love like ecology itself and I like really love like digging into the science and like reading the literature and like collecting (laughs) the data and like whatever um but I think that I've recently started to think a lot more about like the ways that we do science and like the ways that like western science has developed to exist the way it does and like what it means for like other forms of science to like have not been included in that um conversation and like I don't know, like, just thinking about, like, traditional ecological knowledge, for example, is, like, a different way of scientific knowing that just doesn't get talked about in the scientific community. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, so I I would say, like, it's just a complicated thing for me because now I'm not super sure if I want to, like, commit to ecology or if I want to go into something more adjacent, like, you know, like, science communication or, like, Mm -hmm. environmental education. Yeah, because I I just, I'm I'm fearful of, like, pigeonholing myself into some, like, irrelevant niche in academia. (laughs) Like, I don't want to, like, study, like, this one sea snail for the rest of my life. Or, you know, like, like, I feel like there's so much pressure to specialize and, like, 
I just don't see myself committing to that kind of future. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely a big commitment to make if you're, like, studying one particular, like, ecological yeah. system. <laughs> you got to be, like, real in love with it. I know. <laughs> and, like, I used to really romanticize that, and I think in some ways I still do. Like, I think it's it's so exciting to, like, talk to people who are, like, really passionate about something that they've studied their whole life. But mm-hmm. it's also, like, I don't see myself doing that. Do you feel like you don't have, like... I myself am like I don't think I would do like ecology research yeah um, I, I don't think I have like the um, ability to stay excited about like one mm-hmm. particular organism for that long yeah <laughs> I mean yeah. there's obviously room to like move around in terms of what you're studying but right. that's something that I've thought about a lot yeah um, but going back to traditional knowledge, for you, like, what are, what, what differentiates, like, traditional ecological knowledge from, like, the way that we do modern science? Like, can you make mm. that distinction a little more explicit if you feel yeah. like... Yeah. Um, and I, I certainly, like, want to preface that by saying, like, it's not something that I know a ton about yeah. still. And, like, I would say a lot of my knowledge about that has come from, like, reading... Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin yeah. Wall Kimmerer, which is <laughs> just... I've been, like, floating around yeah. there. I haven't read that book, but... <laughs> I mean, it's just such, like, it's such a gorgeous collection of essays that really, like, talks about, you know, what relationship we hold with nature and, like, how different ways of scientific knowing have been used to explore that. Um, but, you know, like, thinking about, like, Western science has such a formulaic way of doing things, and it's very much, like you know, like, papers are all written in more or less the same format, and there's, like, you know, like, you have to have really specific methodology, and you have to, like, there's, you know, so much, like, detail and thought that goes into it that's, like, in a very structured, Mm -hmm. consistent manner, right? And I think, like, Western science really likes to pride itself on, like, objectivity and, like, Mm -hmm. consistency in that sense. Um, (coughs) And I think, like, to my understanding, like, the difference between that and like for example like how indigenous folks do science is like there's not it's not the same like formulaic like process and you're not you know like doing it for the sake of like publishing a paper at the end of it and like having you know a bunch of people like pick you apart for like not doing the right (laughs) things um but there's this there's this one chapter that like I really remember in that book and she's talking about um (coughs) I think she was, like, advising a grad student in, like, doing a project on um, how, like, how harvesting sweetgrass could actually, like, increase (coughs) its growth, because it, like, stimulates growth, Um, and, you know, the, the, like, the other professors were, like, there's no way that, like, this is even a worthwhile project, because obviously if you cut back plants, they die, Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, her student found that the opposite of that was true, And just kind of this idea that, like, people, like, have and continue to hold, like, a really complex, deep understanding of the way that, like, natural systems and ecological systems work Mm -hmm. in ways that don't necessarily align with the way we come at it from, like, a Western scientific perspective, right? And so, like, you can be a person who holds, like, immense scientific knowledge about the land, but the way that you, like, (coughs) engage with that is, like, more deeply personal or, like, less like, I don't know, feels, like, less intrusive or feels less formulaic than, like, the way that we often think of science is, you know, because, like, if you live, like, if you live in a place your whole life, you, like, develop 
some deep understanding of yeah. like you know like when the seasons are changing and like what's happening with that mm-hmm. like you know anybody I think anybody can experience that if they're observant of like the world around them um and like that's you know that's not like illegitimate scientific knowledge when you like know all of those different things but it's like the way that you come to know them is not in the same like way that we like test hypotheses Mm -hmm. and like collect like data in these specific ways Mm. yeah and like that's yeah that's my understanding of it but I think there's definitely a lot more to be said um and a lot that I like don't really can't really speak to yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. like what would you want to how would you want the like academia or Mm -hmm. sort of like the way that we do ecology yeah change if you want it to change yeah yeah well because I definitely don't mean all this to say that like the way that we do science Mm -hmm. shouldn't be the way that we do science because I think there's a lot of reasons why we've developed the frameworks that we have you Mm -hmm. know because like they make sense (laughs) and they work um to like some capacity but Mm -hmm. I think I think first and foremost it's always about like having these more critical conversations about what like what it means to do science and like who is involved in that and like why we approach science the way that we do because I think it's just not something that is it's I think it's still a very new conversation among scientists Mm -hmm. like oh maybe this isn't like the single way to do things um and I think it's more about like I think it's more about expanding like what we think science is and can be than it is about like changing the ways that we practice it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that right now, like we just have such a specific, like singular definition of like what science is and how to do it. And like, that's just not accurate or not like, doesn't, I think doesn't make a lot of sense and like is maybe like makes it more inaccessible to people because you know, I feel like that's another thing about, like, science, like, people, like, have a very, like, I don't know, like, people think it's this one thing that, like, you, um, I don't know, like, I think that there's, like, a specific understanding of what it means to be, like, a STEM person, or, like, mm-hmm. what it means to do yeah. research, you know, that can be, like, like, off-putting to people, or, like, can make people not want to pursue it, um, but I think that, like, expanding that definition and understanding like makes it more accessible to people Mm. yeah (coughs) hmm. yeah because I I don't really know like I wouldn't say that the end goal is to like completely phase out the way we do things (laughs) right now um because I don't think that makes sense but I think it's just like I think one of the issues that I have with like science and some people in science is that like it's really easy for us to fall into this like trap of thinking that science is like because science is like objective it exists in a vacuum and like it's actually you know still so intertwined with all of these like social Mm -hmm. and like power dynamics that you know like we don't really talk about within the field because it's like we're looking at the data we're like drawing conclusions from like what we're studying and we're not being critical about what it means to practice science you know yeah that's it makes me think of like um different like organisms that are super well known versus others i mean Mm. like overall like we do have we have developed like a certain level of knowledge but the like way that funding works can really inform what kind of science Mm. we do and that's sometimes i think it's really hard to like change the way that you fund stuff because it kind of goes into like our whole value system but yeah yeah 
do you want to talk a little bit more about how like you think gender and race uh, like mm-hmm. informs how science is done right now I think I have a few like different thoughts about whether like the ways that gender and race play in because mm-hmm. you know historically like science has been so male dominated and so white um and there's also a lot of like really troubling history within science that we don't really talk about um like you know again like you can't separate science from like the existing social climate um and I think it's you know like in as with so many other fields it's so important to like expand the diversity of who's in these fields and like who the faces are because you know like for me like in ecology that's traditionally like even though I think it has become like like a lot more women have entered the field Mm -hmm. um since you know like the white dudes going out in the woods in like the 60s and 70s um but I think it's still like an extremely white field and I think that has a lot to do with like you know the like the ways that people like grow up having a relationship with the outdoors or like whether they have access to the outdoors um or whether that's like something that's culturally valued um but I think that like you know it's it's something that like people should be able to like look at that field and see people who look like them Mm -hmm. um and I think that's been a big thing for me because like I would say like this summer is the first time I like met people in even like in the broader field of conservation who like looked like me or like came from Mm -hmm. similar backgrounds um and I think the end goal of that is just like it's kind of like what you were saying about like what's getting funded and what's not and like what research is being done and what's not you know like I think that like bringing people from different backgrounds into science like has the potential to like expand the ways that we're putting energy towards certain things and I think for me like it's important to like do science that is ultimately like reaching some goal of like improving um like people's lives Mm. um and I think that that can be so abstract because you can always trace back you can be like oh like well I'm studying like the effects of climate change on this one clam which is connected to this other (laughs) organism which is connected to fisheries which is connected to like people um but (laughs) right 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 um but I think like more and more I've been feeling this like and I I don't know if there's like if that if this is even something I should be like critical of but like feeling a pressure to do science that like has an active like positive impact on people and communities Um, I definitely feel that too or like yeah. the things that I'm most interested in right. have some relationship from like marine science semester like fisheries right. or like aquaculture or right. things that I was focusing on because I felt like on some level like is it pointless to just like, yeah. study something random or like just a, I don't know like some organism that yeah. has fewer implications but right. I think on a larger scale you could still sort of like see it as we're collectively gaining like knowledge about the world that we live in right that is like on some level like that that's potentially going to change and having some like record or Mm -hmm. like collective understanding is useful even though the the like reach of that person's research is is not always as extensive as we might want it to be yeah yeah, it's yeah. hard. I struggle with that because, like, in writing papers and in reviewing literature, you know, I come across, like, countless papers that, like, 
didn't necessarily contribute to like some visible greater goal but like you know help me find the background to explain like results that I was mm-hmm. seeing and yeah. you know like for example like if somebody like has studied the ways that like salamanders prefer certain like substrates or like prefer like this level of moisture or, like this temperature like that doesn't seem to have like any profound impact <laughs> like well I mean you could always you can yeah. always make the case but then it's like if I'm using that paper like in the context of like the ways that like human disturbance impacts like broader ecosystems right mm-hmm. it's like then the connection becomes more clear because that background could have could be yeah. built on so yeah. it's like yeah. it's a tough thing to consider yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think I just feel the urgency of, like, well, there's, you know, there's, <laughs> I feel like we're running out of time to do, like, the, the research like, that might not have a tangible yeah. impact. Yeah. 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 I mean, I still think we've come a pretty far way. I mean, like, in the past, like, maybe 300 years in yeah. terms of, like, just the accuracy and the content and, like, mm-hmm like I think maybe in like the 1700s it was literally like a few Englishmen who yeah. were like going around <laughs> in the woods yeah. and I think we have come a far a long way but there's yeah. still like a long way to go right um, right but do you want to talk a little bit more about your independent study yeah um so <laughs> yeah so right now I'm doing an independent study that's like it's it's environmental studies but then it's also loosely like history and sociology mm-hmm. um and I, f- I feel like I I didn't even really think about all the ways that like the moving parts would come together but mm-hmm. last semester um Bethany and the sustainability office and I were talking about like the demographics of environmentalism on campus and I was like oh this could be like really cool to look at and she was like you should, like, do an independent study. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And I, like, already had my classes lined up, and I was like, I don't know who would, like, advise it. Like, I don't know. Um, but things just kind of came together. Um, like, I talked to Professor Connie Chang in ES, and she agreed to, like, help me with my project. But then because I wanted to do some, like, social kind of stuff, and I didn't know anything about that, and mm-hmm. Connie didn't know anything about that, Bethany was like, okay, I, like, will also support you on this. So I'm, like currently like co-advised by both Connie and Bethany um and with Connie I'm doing like more historical archival work I've been looking at like records about like the BOC and the ways that you know the BOC like was presented by Bowdoin like in past decades or Mm -hmm. the ways that they like advertised for certain events or the types of trips they were putting out Mm -hmm. or like the accessibility of gear um and things like that and then also with Connie thinking more about like the broader like social and historical patterns of like race and environmentalism and like who traditionally like has been in the outdoors and who hasn't um and then with Bethany I'm doing more on-campus stuff and so my big thing right now is I'm like I've just finished this survey and I'm about to like hopefully push it out um to as many people as possible but um I mean it's just like a 10-minute survey that tries to get at like you know, like, what majors are people in? Like, are they in the BOC? Like, what other environmental groups are they in? Mm. Um, And then, like, a little bit of trying to dig into, like, what has shaped, like, your environmental values? Like, you know, like, what kinds of activities did you do? Like, maybe you, like, volunteered at a community garden, or maybe your parents, like, really liked hiking, or maybe you, like, went to camp every summer. um, And just trying to, like, tease out, like, whether there are relationships between the types of things that people do and, like, the ways that they 
engage with the outdoors and the environment um, combined with like the demographics that describe them. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any like initial thoughts about that or like initial sort of general themes that you're teasing out? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that like the reason I wanted to look at this in the first place is because I feel like I occupy a lot of these spaces on mm. campus, right? Like I'm a BOC leader, I'm an environmental studies major, like I'm involved with Sunrise, um, and it's just been this theme for me over like my few years at Bowdoin that I think, honestly, I've seen, I've started to see some shifts in that, but like, you mm. know, these spaces have been really predominantly white and for people like like who come from pretty similar backgrounds or like have like really similar reasons like why they're drawn to the work that they do which I think is you know like that's like totally valid but it's like so interesting to think about like why things like play out the way they do and like how much of that is like can be traced back to what Bowdoin's doing and like how Bowdoin's presenting these opportunities versus like how much of this is beyond Bowdoin and like happens before people even get here Mm -hmm. you know like something I was thinking about a lot is like orientation trips right like before you even like get to campus and like start classes you've already decided to like either do a BOC BOC trip or like do BSE or McKean yeah um and I think that like it's it's crazy to me because I think when you look at for example like the BOC trip leaders versus like the McKean and BSE trip leaders like there is (laughs) there's a crowd of white people and then there's everyone else um and like you know that just already sets like how influential I don't know but like sets a precedent for you know whether people like feel like they want to join the BOC Mm -hmm. or like feel like they want to do like leadership training and stuff because I don't think I would have done leadership training if I hadn't done a BOC trip because the reason I found out about it was because my trip leaders talked about it and I was Mm -hmm. like oh this sounds cool cool. yeah (laughs) yeah but I don't think that I would have like necessarily sought that out or like known about it if I had done a different orientation experience Mm -hmm. so it's yeah. yeah it's like that initial experience already like shapes the way you might think about mm-hmm. what spaces you want to come yeah. into on campus yeah yeah that's interesting I feel like for me at least a lot of like the way that I think about sustainability and environmentalism has like primarily been shaped by like Bowdoin mm-hmm. and like I enjoyed going outside sometimes like yeah. before college and stuff like I ran cross country but yeah um there's a lot of room and a lot of potential at Bowdoin to sort of like inform the way that we think about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a really powerful place and yeah. really exciting that you're like thinking about these things and hopefully um, sort of pushing things in a more maybe like thoughtful direction. I don't know right. like if you would characterize it as that, but yeah, um, I think because the, the end goal of what I'm doing is not like it's not necessarily like something super tangible, right? It's mm-hmm. just like I'm curious about these connections and want to like kind of tease them out from yeah. like what I see on campus mm-hmm. um, and I'm definitely trying to come at it in a way that is more like yeah like you said like thoughtful or like you know in a way that's like like I want to observe what's going on mm-hmm. and I'm not necessarily trying to like condemn what's going on yeah. you know yeah. um, which I think is like easy for me and like others to maybe get into the pattern of doing like you know making like just like comments about like (laughs) the ways that certain spaces on campus look um but like but like fundamentally I'm not trying to come at this from a place of resentment or a place of like frustration I think I'm just genuinely really curious about Mm -hmm. like what shapes the relationships that people hold with the things that they do Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, um, aside from your like independent studies slash work with the sustainability office, you also mentioned the Sunrise Movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like what sorts of things you're advocating for and how you go about doing that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, this semester I've like stepped into the role of being a hub coordinator for the Sunrise Hub on campus, um, also known as Bowdoin Climate Action. And yeah, I think it's funny because I literally never thought that this is something that I would be doing. And I like I don't even I can't even like trace my involvement back to like a specific <laughs> moment or, or anything. But um, I think it's just become such a big part of my life. Um, and like, I think what sets Sunrise apart from a lot of other like climate action maybe is that it's so youth led and like Mm. that's like the focus of it um youth being like people like under the age of 30 um and like I think that's so powerful because like you know like I got to go to um like the regional sunrise summit in Providence which was like the first weekend of school (laughs) um but it was it's just so incredible to like feel that you're part of this bigger movement that like people are also so passionate about and like like have been putting so much like work and love into um and it feels like you know like it feels like we're gaining traction and it feels like we're building um communities and building power and that's been kind of like the narrative for this um like for these past few months in sunrise because like what we're doing now yeah so i think it's it's been really cool to see how so sunrise like over the past year has been like more about like sit-ins and like talking to politicians and like engaging the movement in that way but now we're shifting towards like mass mobilization and like civil disobedience um and like we're building um building momentum with the strikes that we're doing and so there was that one there was the one the first strike in the first month of school um and it was so it was so cool to see so many people really? come out for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're striking again um, or we're going to like have a rally because, you know, it's like people might not have class, but <laughs> yeah. we're still going to like rally for yeah. the global climate strikes that are happening. Yeah. Um, and the next one is December 6th. Okay. Um, and that's going to be like on like the big Brunswick Green, like where the oh, farmers cool. market is. Nice. Um, and we're like hoping to get more community members involved mm-hmm. with that. And then, you know, it's like we're building, we're building, like we're building towards um, elections because there's there's going to be like another strike on Earth Day in April um, next spring. And the idea is kind of like to try and get each one to be bigger than the last. Um, And like that's yeah, that's like the big way that actions are happening now. But like, um, yeah, but even like between those big actions, like Sunrise Bowdoin is doing a lot of smaller things to like build community and like think about like having these conversations more like we're doing a panel that's kind of about like what is climate justice and like who's involved and why does it matter yeah and you know like we're also like we did this thing over parents weekend where we like chalked the quad and like you know wrote down some like statistics and like big ideas for people to like be thinking about as they like (laughs) hung out with their parents like (laughs) keep this in mind um and like I, I don't know we're doing a lot of like what else is there um, and then, like, you know, people are, like, writing letters to legislators. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, like, trying to go out to a Colby Climate Summit oh, cool. next weekend um, to, like, support them and, like, meet with more people in Maine who are involved with this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of large-scale, like, work, but then, because, you know, we're looped into this, like, 
much larger community and like striking the same time as these like other groups all across the country yeah. but then it's also a lot of like what I like to think is more community based um, and like having like relationships with people and like building understanding of like what it means to be involved with climate justice and like what that looks like mm. yeah yeah are there like particular legislative actions that you want to see in the next like maybe two years or yeah like specific goals that you have or are you do you feel like it's still on the level of like you're sort of building a, a group of support yeah well I think I think part of the goal of sunrise is to like put climate on the table as like this has to be a big voting issue mm -hmm. and like if candidates aren't willing to come out in support of like robust and like radical climate action like they're like we don't want to support them you know mm -hmm. um because I think it's at the point where like like I think it's at the point where like poor or like weak climate action is just as bad as like apathy it's like if you're not gonna make the effort you're essentially saying well like I don't you know like I don't really care about the people who are like whose livelihoods are gonna be deeply impacted by climate change in the next like few years like I don't really care because like you know I'm getting fossil fuel money and like <laughs> you know and, like we just that's not what we want to see in the leadership yeah. um yeah are there particular projects you're excited about or like things mm. that you're working on? I mean I'm just really excited to be building towards this next strike mm -hmm. um yeah. I think it's gonna be big and um like bigger than the last one and mm. I'm hoping that like the combination of these two in like one semester gets people really like thinking yeah. about this and having it on their radar mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's definitely go on my radar I like yeah I'm like one yeah. to one thing I haven't been super like active mm -hmm. um one of my questions for you also is how does it feel to um be like putting yourself out there in a very like public way mm. um and how does that is that like what it means to be like I get like an activist like mm. for you what like how does that impact the way that you think about it at least for me like I find it kind of scary to just like, yeah. be out there because um, I always feel like um, I've been thinking about this stuff for like a while but there's mm -hmm. so much that I don't know and so much that like you know people can like come at you for I guess yeah, right. um, but yeah yeah I definitely find the visibility like really daunting and you know like like at the last rally that we did I like led songs I didn't like MC or I didn't like Mm -hmm. like talk about yeah. my personal experiences because I think that's something I still do feel really like like anxious about mm -hmm. um like you know just like the pressure to like be articulate and like have like really coherent opinions that you can use to like, <laughs> respond to other things I'm like like it all makes sense in my head and then I'll like I'm like no I simply cannot do the press release <laughs> or like whatever um and like I think that activism definitely holds space for like all kinds of roles and like personalities that people have because I think that like we do have this like I think that you know it's like commonly perceived that like oh like activists are people who are like really outspoken and mm -hmm. like always like up there like yelling about the things that they <laughs> care about and like to some extent like that is like mm -hmm. you know like that's super important but I think so much of like what activism like, and so much of, like, organizing goes on very behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and it's been really cool to, like, kind of, um, like, have a role in shaping the structure of our hub because, like, you know, it's not, it's not like a hierarchical structure where, like, 
like the hub coordinators like yeah no 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 um it's kind of like this web of like different um like groups that have different roles and so for example like there's like um internal communications people who like send out the emails and like you know like organize like what's happening on campus and like making sure everyone knows what's up with that and then we have like external communication people who are like in contact with other hubs in Maine and like you know on calls with other groups in Maine who are working towards similar goals um and there's just like all of these like little subgroups like strategy and like art build and like um so I think there's really truly a place for everybody to have a role um and like you know you don't have to be like a point person in one of those groups to like be an activist and to like be contributing to that because I think that I think that it's honestly really harmful for like us to create a perception that like activism is just like rallies and like yelling and being (laughs) angry because like that is where a lot of the energy comes from but like so much of the work is dependent on so many other moving parts that aren't necessarily as visible Mm. and I feel like those are the roles that I personally like also Mm. feel more comfortable in Um, because I think that like while I feel like, pretty comfortable having conversations with, like, individuals in my life, mm-hmm. like, it is really scary to yeah. me to, like, be up there yeah. and, like, be talking yeah. about things, Yeah. Um, which I'm, you know, overcoming, but then also holding that with the knowledge that I don't have to overcome that, and I don't have mm-hmm. to, like, yeah. fit a certain, like, expectation of what yeah. activism is, you know? Yeah. 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 That's a really interesting way to, like, think about it, is, like, mm-hmm. you can have, like, different roles depending on, like, what like works for you I guess right because um, not yeah. everyone has the time to pour like three or four hours into <laughs> like you know something that isn't necessarily giving you returns in your day-to-day life yeah. um and like I certainly don't have that kind of time you know but it's like you can still make a difference even mm-hmm. if it's like yeah like coming to meetings once a week and working on like one small moving part yeah yeah, yeah. So you're working on change, like, within the larger, maybe, like, Maine and national scene? Mm-hmm. Coming back to, like, Bowdoin specifically, are there things that you want to see, um, like, evolve at Bowdoin? How are you feeling mm-hmm. about sustainability initiatives here on campus? I don't know. I guess, like, from my Sunrise perspective, I definitely want, like, those initiatives to have a focus on, like, people and communities and, like, how, like, humans are impacted, um, by, like, you know, a lot of the shitty stuff that goes on in the world and has contributed to climate change and stuff, um, because I think that, like, I think that sustainability on campus walks this really hard line, like, a really challenging line of, like, well, you want people to feel like they can make a difference, and you want, like, you do want people to be making these, like, smaller shifts in their life, but then it's also, like, you want to acknowledge that, like, people biking to class or, like, people turning off their lights, like, you know, doesn't ultimately have that big of an impact in the broad scheme of things. And I think that's, like, I think that's really challenging because, to me, it's frustrating when people get really caught up in the individual actions to the Mm -hmm. point where they don't see the bigger picture because Mm -hmm. it's, like, to me, it's, like, really frustrating to see so much energy put towards, like, metal straws and, like, you know, like, all of these, like, right it's like a quick like band-aid thing where people are like oh like I have a metal straw so like I don't need to get involved with climate justice (laughs) like you know but like it feels like sometimes it feels like a cop-out for like the more impactful large-scale action Mm -hmm. um but I but then I think it's also hard because if you like 
if you feed into that too much, then you're just left with this apathy of like, oh, like, well, I'm just going to eat like beef every day because it doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, Or like, I'm just going to like not care at all because it doesn't matter. And so it's like, how do you find that sweet Mm -hmm. spot between being like, well, like these things do have an impact if like everyone does them, but then also like don't lose sight of like the bigger political structural change that needs to happen. Right. Because (laughs) I saw this tweet and it was like, I think it was BP being like, how big is your carbon footprint? Like, use this calculator to find out. Um, and then, like, the governor of Washington, Jay Inslee, replied to it and said, like, last year BP spent, I think it was, like, $7 billion in Washington <laughs> State to block climate action. Oh you know, God. and so it's like, <laughs> it's like we perpetuate this narrative of, like, oh, you can take all these small individual actions to, like, make the world a better place yeah. when, in fact, it's really, like, you know, like, the broad-scale, yeah. like, political change that needs mm-hmm. to happen. So... As far as, like, on-campus things go, I think, I think, like, continuing what's happened, like, what's going on with, like, you know, like, trying to build, like, more, like, of these, like, individual habits that, you know, can hopefully add up and, like, make (laughs) some change, Um, but then also, like, combining that with, like, a, like, a greater understanding of, like, the ways that people are, like, and communities across the world are really deeply affected, um, by issues of sustainability and like pushing that beyond Bowdoin because I mean and even for Bowdoin students you know there are people who come from places that are like really deeply impacted by climate change um and I think like I think like Bowdoin and sustainable like the sustainability office have like a responsibility to have the conversation be not just about Bowdoin you know Mm. um and I, I don't know exactly like what that would look like um but I think it is about like again like whose narratives have been excluded and like who like is affected that we're not talking about um and yeah like I think there's a responsibility for like bringing more attention to that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and then I'm also curious to see like whether like divestment like comes (laughs) back into you know because I think that I mean, I, I, I really don't know too much about, like, what that's, what that action has been like here, but it's not something that's really, like, at the forefront currently, yeah. and again, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I have, like, so much to learn about so many of these different, like, problems that I have issues with, or, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, thinking about, like, how I fit into these things, um, but it's a process. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're always learning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Any last stories, thoughts? I will say. <laughs> <laughs> Please, go ahead. <laughs> this is, like, marginally relevant, but I think it just speaks to, like, the fact that sometimes, like, Bowdoin can be a bubble and, like, does... Well, I don't know. How do I want to go about this? Well, okay, I feel like, I, I feel like to contextualize this, I need to talk about what I did this past summer. Sure. Um, yeah, and so I, like was doing the first of a two, like, the first summer of a two-summer fellowship with, like, the Dorsetube Conservation Scholars Program, um, at the University of Washington, which, like, was so, like, deeply transformative and, like, really incredible for me, because I essentially, like, spent the summer with this, like, like, super kick-ass, like, awesome, like, group of POCs in conservation, um, were like my age and like thinking about a lot of the same things that I've been thinking about and I felt like for the first time like I just felt like 
like it was funny because out of this cohort of like 20 people I felt the least equipped to like have conversations about um like environmental justice and like social justice because I've never like you've been introduced to that in like a formal academic setting or mm-hmm. like I was with people who like you know they might have like one of my like closest friends from it is an ethnic studies major or like there are people studying like geography which like really get digs into yeah. those questions um and so it was like it was it was just so cool to like be having all these critical conversations about the ways that like power and privilege and like all of these forces play into like the ways that like the conservation field looks and like the ways that we do science and like mm-hmm. all of these bigger questions that I'd never given like too much thought but was so excited to learn more about and then like coming back here it's been like a real shift yeah but coming back to Bowdoin has been really interesting because I feel like in some ways now the opposite is true where like there's certain spaces on campus that I occupy where I feel like I'm the only one who is thinking about these Mm. questions or the only one raising these questions and I can honestly like get to be exhausting sometimes and I think like the most jarring example of that was at like I mean how would you even describe it so it's like an external committee review of the Bowdoin Marine Science semester yeah Yeah, um and like in this meeting with these like (laughs) three old white people (laughs) who were like how can we improve the Bowdoin Marine Science semester um and I think that they were just simply not in the headspace to like receive any of the feedback that I wanted to give them because they were I think looking for the feedback that was more like oh like you know this program feels like it changes from year to year because we have different professors or you know like I wish we like had a longer field season or like did this about independent research you know and specific right and just like weren't ready to be thinking about like the ways that like I wanted to propose curriculum change in like having more built-in conversations about again like all of these things about like who does science like why do we do science the Mm -hmm. way that we do it what's like some of the history of the methodology that we use and like what responsibility do we have as like you know a really white program um on this campus like being so deeply immersed in that marine science and like what relationships do we hold with the communities affected by like the marine science that we're doing and Mm -hmm. I think that, like, it was just so jarring to me to, like, feel completely invisible to these people because I think that, like, while they did, like, the bare, like, respectful minimum of being like, oh, okay, cool, <laughs> um, they were just not engaging me at all in the way that, like, they might have, like, asked more follow-up questions to other people's ideas. And, like, I feel like that really just reminded me that, like, even though, like, which like kind of sucks but like even though sometimes I feel that like on campus like people aren't having these conversations they're often willing to like be thinking about those things and like willing to like you know come into that space whereas like some people just simply don't seem to care or like don't (laughs) seem to think that that's a priority for like what it means to be a scientist which I think just like felt so shitty to me (laughs) in that moment (laughs) because like I mean I walked into that room knowing to some extent that like they weren't gonna be able to like receive everything that I wanted to give them but like to have that like just not be responded to at all and to like not even have them be like okay well like what structured way do you think this could like Mm. come across as and like for me to be offering like ideas that they could easily have asked more like follow-up questions about but like Mm. to not I was like okay like (laughs) and it just it's sometimes it feels it feels really deeply frustrating to feel like things that like I think are 
really important to like be thinking about like other people might think that they like take a back seat to like doing the science or like being in certain ways and I don't know that can be like honestly really like emotionally (laughs) exhausting yeah Yeah, because it felt it felt really personal you know like it was like oh like you as a person like are not visible in this room or like your opinion like doesn't matter in this room and yeah that was shitty I'm sorry yeah no (laughs) I like had to unpack with some friends after I was like why am I so upset yeah props to you still for like making that comment and like Mm. I think it takes time and that's frustrating yeah. and you could say the same thing about like climate activism right like so many uh, things course, where you're like yeah. this is an issue like uh, this needs to be on the table yeah and yeah I, I totally get that. that that can be really frustrating when like people just don't um sort of view like the issues that you really care about in in the strength that you right. want them to but it is a work in progress and you did say the things and yeah. they might not have received them now but there will be other people who will also be saying those things that's what and i'm hoping yeah i think eventually it's like institutional change is is so difficult yeah but it's possible like right. we see it on campus right um but yeah yeah sometimes it's like i definitely yeah i definitely still have hope but yeah it can take a toll yeah. <laughs> yeah. anyways well, thank you so much for talking yeah. to me. That was lovely. <laughs> yeah, this fun. Join us next week to listen to our interview with Keisha Payson, the Sustainability Director at Bowdoin College. Working with our first guest, Bethany Taylor, who you heard in Episode 2, Keisha is responsible for engaging faculty, staff, and students in Bowdoin's sustainability, as well as ensuring that Bowdoin integrates sustainable practices and policies and operations across campus. Thanks again to Ayana. Throughout the 2019-2020 academic year, we will be broadcasting on Brunswick's own radio station, WBOR 91.1, Mondays from 3 to 4 p.m. Each episode featuring live interviews with Brunswick and Bowdoin community members will be available after the show here on the sustainability website at bowdoin.edu sustainability under the green tea tab. You can also find show notes here. If you'd like to share any stories or thoughts, we'd love to hear from you please email Marie at M-S-C-A-S-P-A-R. That's M-S-C-A-S-P-A-R at Bowdoin.edu. The music you heard in this episode is courtesy of Colby Santana of The Sustainers, who we interview in the last episode of Season 1. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.